0: and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder.
1: Please take your copies of God's Word, and would you turn with me to the text we looked at last week. We're coming back to it for a different reason, or for another reason to be built on it. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. You'll look there with me. Then, what advantage has the Jew? Are What is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is un- that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying? Well, their condemnation is just. Now, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. One of the great challenges for the church, whether it's the PCA or any other evangelical church, is to hold to that foundational, fundamental evangelical doctrine, and even more importantly, that functionally foundational doctrine of the Reformation. You know, the church a number of years ago had over uh, hundreds of years become shrouded with error, uh, with darkness, clouded ritual, superstition, immorality, uh, corruption uh, at all levels, and then God gloriously answered the prayers of His people as the breakthrough in the 16th century starting in the 15th century of what today we call the reformation a reclamation of the apostolic gospel to be preached again and the glories of it now the the um, the issues begin to revolve early on that nailing of the 95 theses against the castle door the castle church door in wittenberg by martin luther it was on on the issue of of justification. How can, how can sinners be saved? And so justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But over the next couple of years, through the various debates and publications, it became abundantly clear. That issue, the argument was this. Is the church infallible or is God's word infallible? And it became abundantly clear that the foundational principle That the church and every Christian life is to be built upon is this. And that is sola scriptura. That is the scripture alone is our only rule of faith and practice. We're saved by the truth. We're built by the truth. And we're built up with the truth through the spirit of God who works with the truth. And God's word is true, not contains truth, but is true. Doesn't become truth, but is true. That's what God's word is. But when God's word is to be read, and we have been given God's word to read, but it was designed to be preached. Therefore, Paul says, preach the word. Jesus said, be careful who you listen to. The preaching of the word is absolutely crucial. And as you preach the word, you're doing, you are doing—you are bringing to God's people, resting in the power of the Spirit of God, The truth that he has given in his word. I always tell people as a preacher, you're basically a waiter. You're coming from the kitchen with the truth of God's word that he has prepared. And you get it to the table as, as, um, uh, as, courteously and as appropriately, but as quickly as you can, that it may be enjoyed. You're not coming up with truth. You are coming out with the truth that God has revealed to us. Now, when you study God's word to understand what God is saying in his word, the truth, there are two things that I always encourage people to look at. And that number one is this. What is God saying by proposition, by precept? What doctrine is he communicating? What is he saying to us in his word? Uh, Propositional truth, truth by precept. What is it he is saying? And the Apostle Paul has been doing this for us. The Apostle Paul's desire is for us to know the gospel of God, the truth of the gospel of God, and the truths that emanate from the truth of the gospel of God. So he has begun an exposition of it. He starts with a taste of what he is about to expound in Romans 1 when he tells us that that he's eager to preach it, he is unashamed to preach it, and that the gospel of God is the message that we are saved by the power, power of God for in it the power of God is revealed and we are saved by the righteousness of God now why is that good news why is why is the power of God and the righteousness of God in the gospel message good news for us power of God Righteousness of God. Well, he wants you to understand why that's good news by going to what he calls the most foundational, the first step of understanding the gospel of God. And what is that? He is communicating to us from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3, verse 23, that we are, and he just said it, He brought, he's been bringing an indictment. And the indictment is this, this gospel that can save Jew and Gentile. Why is that gloriously important with the righteousness of God and the power of God? He is painstakingly, Mr. Lawyer trained under Gamaliel, Paul, has painstakingly been bringing to us the clarity that we are three things, under sin and helpless. Jew and Greek. Did you read what he just said? What shall we say is the Jew? He said, no, I have now communicated to you Jew and Greek are all under sin. In other words, he's telling us something. There has been no one born On the continent of Africa, the continent of Asia, the continent of North America, the continent of Europe. Uh, Does anybody get born in the continent of Antarctica? Antarctica? It doesn't matter. Wherever you are born, the person born is in need of salvation by grace through the power of God and the righteousness of God. All are under sin. That's what he's communicating to us. And... Furthermore, you are not only under sin, you are helpless under sin. You are helpless. You're not sin sick. You're sin dead. You're not flailing around in the ocean of sin. Can somebody give me a life preserver? You are at the bottom of the ocean of sin with a 10 million pound rock on top of you. And you are helpless. And you are hopeless. That's why we don't have the power to save ourselves. The world doesn't have the power to save us. He's already made the point. Religion, irreligion, the religion of irreligion can't save you. False Gentile manufactured man-made false religion can't save you. And in fact, true religion can't save you. True religion with its privileges. True religions with its ministries. They're not there to save you. They can't save you. They're there to tell you to get to Jesus who saves you. And they're there to tell you how to serve Jesus when you get saved. But they can't save you. You may give out, and I pray you do, 10,000 tracts that communicate the gospel of Jesus. You don't get saved by that. Well, I'll increase it to 20. That won't save you either. You don't get saved through your baptism. You don't get saved through the Lord's Supper. You don't get saved. You don't get saved by attending church. You get, sent. all of those things are glorious. The preaching of the word, the worship of God's people, honoring the Lord's day, sharing the gospel, honoring the sacred covenant, um, and the signs and seals of the covenant. All of those things are gloriously wonderful gifts from the Lord, but they are gloriously wonderful Because of what they were designed to do, and and you need to know that those things were not designed, they were not endowed, they were not enabled to save you. They are there to send you to the Savior, and then send you out for the Savior, becoming more like the Savior. That's what they're there for you're helpless and you're hopeless false religion true religion irreligion nothing can save you you are you have no excuses so what he has been doing is has been communicating those things that you are under sin helpless under sin hopeless and one more thing remember i said three there's coming a day you've got an appointment and not only are all under sin helpless and hopeless but all will come before the judgment seat. Everyone. And on that day. You will not be able to stand. Unless you are in Christ. And Christ is in you. You will not be able to stand. So Paul has been dismantled. Paul has bring- been bringing to you. The basic First, now the first order truth of the gospel. He says this in Romans 2. That the day of judgment is coming when God will render to every man according to his works. According to my gospel. What Paul is teaching to what Paul is teaching us we're under sin we're helpless we're hopeless there's a judgment day coming where a holy God who will by no means leave the guilty unpunished and you'll be there and you were born in this world as a sinner and you and you can't save yourself and your religion can't save you and your friends can't save you and sincerity can't save you you've got to have the Savior you have to have the here, here's the amazing thing the one that sits in judgment You've got to have as your defense attorney. You don't have any other defense. So he has been dismantling every false hope, every false defense for you in that entire text. And now you get to the indictment. All verse nine, Romans three, all are under sin. But what I want you to see something else in the see God's word in its glorious sufficiency. It's inerrancy. God's word not only gives you truth by propositional statements and precepts. We also get to see truth through practice. You know, as Christians, we learn by mentoring, learning propositional truth that instructs us, and by imitation, modeling. And there's something here I desperately want you to see today. I certainly have read this text, not to go back and preach it again from what we looked at last week, what he's telling you about the truth in the text of of the gospel, that we're all under sin. I I didn't read it to go back there. I read it for another reason. Because the Apostle Paul is doing something in Romans 1 through 3, and it comes to a crescendo in these nine verses that I just read that Jesus did. And that you can do, and that you should do, I would dare say we must do. If we are going to be instruments for others to hear the good news of the gospel, we have to learn not only the content that starts with the bad news, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. Who brings the power of God because we're dead in our sins? We need a Savior that can resurrect us out of the boneyard of sin. We need a Savior who gives us a perfect righteousness because our righteousness is, not, is like filthy rags. Whether you're Jew or Gentile or whatever you are, you're under sin, helpless, and hopeless. And you need a Savior who brings the power of God to the task of salvation, who brings the righteousness of God with all of its perfections. You need a Savior who can wipe away your sin. You need a Savior who can give you perfect righteousness. You need a Savior so that you are cleansed by His blood and clothed with His righteousness. These glorious things that we confess our, our need, our worthlessness, and that Christ is our hope by the blood that was shed, declaring that he had borne our sins, the wrath of God on the cross for all our sins. All of our sins in thought, word, and deed, he paid, drank the cup, unmixed cup of God's eternal wrath against us. Because of our sin. He took our place. You see, the one who on that day at the judgment sits in judgment is the one who in a, in a day 2,000 years ago went to a cross and took our place, and you need him as your advocate. You need him as your defense attorney because he's the one that took your place at the cross. That you might be with him in the place he's preparing for you forever. And on that day, that is your only hope. Well, we not only want to respond to it, we want to share this with other people. How can I effectively share this with other people? This last week... I had the chance to hear three testimonies from people who had come to Christ through uh, individuals who were part of what God did in their life uh, here at Briarwood. And I got the chance to hear their three testimonies. Can I tell you something common to all three? Not only did they confess that they were sinners and they come to Christ alone for their salvation. But let me tell you something else that every single one of them mentioned multiple people had talked to them and people kept Asking them questions that made them think about what they didn't want to think. Or made public what they were thinking. Let me say that again. They kept asking them questions that made them think about what they didn't want to think. We call that denial. I'm a sinner. I'm under God's judgment. There's a hell where I am ticketed unless a transfer is given to the only one that can give me one. And they ask me questions that made me not only think about what I didn't want to think, but to think about what I needed to think. And they use those questions. Now, would you go back with me to Romans 3 just for a moment? I'm going to do something. I want to go back. I know you listened to it, but I know like me you're probably focused on the propositional truth. But I want to read this just a little bit differently. I want to read it again for you, and I want you to ask you to listen. listen. Then what advantage has the Jew? What is the value of circumcision? What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? But if our unrighteousness serves to show the unrighteous, uh, if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath? How could we, how could God judge the world? Does God's truth abound to his glory? Why not do evil rather than good? What then? Are we Jews any better off? What do you see? What do you hear? Continual, thoughtful, penetrating questions. That's what you hear. Continual, thoughtful, penetrating questions. The gospel, unless the Lord intervenes and changes someone's heart, And gives them eyes to see and ears to hear. What we call the good news. And by the way, the only reason you now think it's good news. Is because God changed your heart and gave you eyes to see and ears to hear. But what we now call good news is not good news. It's a scandal. We hate it for three reasons. In and of ourselves. Everyone needs it. Nobody wants it. Because it says three things. One, you're a sinner and you need a Savior. That's a scandal unless God opens the heart, the eyes, and the ears. Secondly, it's saying you can't save yourself. Your religion can't save you. That's a scandal. We don't want to be told we need a Savior And that we're sinners and we don't want to be told that we are incompetent and incapable and impotent to save ourselves. Thirdly, there is only one who can save you. Who brings the power of God and the righteousness of God. And that's Jesus. And that's a scandal. That there's only one Savior. It's a scandal to be told we need salvation. It's a scandal to be told we can't save ourselves, or, or our sincerity or our religion can't save us. And it's a scandal to be told there's only one Savior who brings to bear what needs to be brought to save us who are helpless. And that is the power of God. We who are hopeless and that is the righteousness of God. Because with the power of God you can be born again. And with the righteousness of God you can be made right with God. And that's what we need. Therefore, we need God to save us. And that's the Son of God who became a man because by a man came death. By a man also comes the resurrection of the dead. Therefore, if people, unless the Lord intervenes, are opposed to the gospel, are scandalized by the gospel, how is it that I can share with them that they will come to Christ? How is it I do not let their intimidation, their indifference, or, their, or, or however they respond to me, how do I make sure that doesn't silence me? me that doesn't that doesn't uh, stop me but that I like Paul can relentlessly bring to them the indictment so that they can see the only solution I had the great privilege uh, to disciple this young man who is in the ministry right now God's doing a wonderful ministry through him uh, through his life and his ministry And one of the things that he did, one of the things I had the privilege to do was listen to one of his sermons. And he said, you know, uh, would you mind listening? I said, sure. And I listened to it. And afterwards he said to me, he said, "Uh, what do you think? And I said, well, first of all, and I'm not saying this patronizingly or just uh, for any other reason except it's the truth. God's called you, God's hands on you, God's going to use you. I don't know to what extent, I have no idea, but God has called you, that's obvious. God has gifted you, that's obvious. You love him, that's obvious, and I believe God's going to use you. And he said, why do I feel there's a but there? And I said, well, you've asked, so I'm going to tell you. Um, And I brought him back to one statement. I brought him back to a couple of things, but most pointedly, one statement. (laughs) In the sermon, he said, God loves to save sinners. And God desires you to be saved. But God's got a problem. And then he went on to share the gospel. And, he, and I said, um, so I want you to know you're right And you're wrong. You were right. God loves to save sinners. You were right. God desires to save. In fact, the Bible tells us God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. So, God even says, why will you die? And I said, so you're right there. And then I had to share with him. But here's where you're wrong. God doesn't have a problem. God's got the solution. We're the problem. I've got the problem. This isn't God's problem. This is my problem. I'm a sinner. I I am born wanting to exalt myself. And deny God his glory. I am born as a traitor to the one who made me. To the one who gives me breath. I am born in opposition and rebellion against him. And I'm helpless. And I'm hopeless under the power and dominion and chains of sin. And its ancillaries ancillaries of death and grave And it's future direction. Hell itself. That's where I am. That's my problem. Now I've got good news. (laughs) God has the solution to my problem. And his grace is greater than my sin. And God's solution was in his son. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son. And if you believe in him, he'll never perish. But you will have everlasting life. Now how do you communicate that to people? Jesus, Paul, and many others realize the strategy to take the gospel to the world. I believe in, I call it five E's. I believe, here's what I believe in. Everyone, that's you, that's me, everyone evangelizing everybody, everywhere, every day. That's what I believe ought to happen. That's what ought to be happening. Now, if how does, but how can we do that? If that's our strategy, what's our tactic? If that's our strategy to take the gospel to everywhere, highways, byways, uh, cities, rural towns, villages, uh, lonely outposts. If we're going to take the gospel everywhere, every day to everybody, evangelizing everybody, every day, everywhere, then how do you do it? Please learn the value of questions. I'm taking a whole sermon today because this is a burden from my heart because here is one. Did you read it in the space of those few verses? Twelve questions like machine guns. And Paul is just doing what. How many times did Jesus do this? Well, I'll answer you if you'll answer this. How many times did Jesus use a question? And what do questions do? Now, watch. Watch. You see, people have objections to the gospel. What do questions do? Questions anticipate and draw out their objection. Let's get it on the table. You're not afraid of their objection, are you? No, you got the answers in God's word. Now you may not have it at your fingertips and in your and the tip of your tongue, but you can go find it and you can come back. Don't you draw out the objections. Questions draw out the objections. And sometimes questions push out the objections. I um I was watching a one of those uh Report YouTube reports. I don't know what to call it, but YouTube reports. And they called, and there was this place, and I had lived in that place, is why it it drew my attention. That has these storm drains, and it is legendary how many dogs perish in those in those storm drains. And they brought a story of one, and a dog that had gotten in the storm drain, gotten stuck, and they kept trying to pull it out. To draw it out, and they couldn't get it out. The head was out, but the body was bigger than the head, and it wasn't coming out. But they thought they could get it out, but the dog wouldn't want to get out, and they couldn't get it out. So the fireman went to the other end of the pipe, and he just, they cranked that engine up as fast, as much as they could, and they just blew that water in, and poop out comes this dog on the other side. And everybody cheers. Well, that's evangelism. Some of your questions, you're drawing out. What are they thinking? What are their objections? You draw it out. Some of your questions, the force of the question, its logic and its importance, push out their objections. And get it on the table so that we can talk about it. God is not um, God is not afraid of man's objections and doubts, so you don't have to be, and so you can. Um, so you go to work on it with them by going through the process of these questions with them. I was um, when uh, when I was a kid, we used to uh, we used to um, usually in our family. My mother. I was talking to my sister about this uh, yesterday, or day before yesterday. How our mother, uh, really would, there's just, the, the family room with the pictures and everything was so inviting. And one of the things we'd all get down there, if you got everything done, you're supposed to get done. And, uh, I, you know, checked all my mother's points of what I was supposed to get done, done. Then we could watch a television program. They'd always pick one that you could watch each night. And so the television program, we, uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of my mother buying me a computer and turning me loose with it. That's, that would not have happened, but what she did, what she, they would, here's the program we're going to watch, and so we would go in to watch it Thursday night. I still watch it whenever I can. That you can find it. It's called Perry Mason. I remember them. I remember the efficient, marvelous, highly. Um, uh, attractive and unbelievably intelligent assistant, Della Street. I remember the guy that had the greatest sports coat. Uh, coat that ever existed, and the most unbelievable head of hair I've ever seen in my life, who would always knock at the back of the courtroom at the end of the program and come in with a piece of paper that he had discovered as a detective and hand it to Perry, and it would decimate whoever was on the witness chair. His name was Paul Drake. And then I remember um, the prosecuting attorney, Hamilton Berger. How that man kept his job, I don't know. He lost every single case that he ever tried with Perry Mason. And then, of course, his assistant, Lieutenant Track. I remember all of them. But here's what I remember. Go check me out. Watch a couple of them. And in the courtroom drama, if it's a normal courtroom case, in that courtroom drama, I promise you, at least ten times you're going to hear this. I object leading the witness. In other words, you're not allowed to use leading questions. Well, what do you think Paul just has been doing for three chapters? Leading questions. He's leading them to know their condition. He's leading them to know what's facing them at the judgment seat. He's leading them to know why the gospel is good news. He is leading them to Christ. He isn't doing this to beat them down. He is doing this to bring them down and bring them to Christ, who alone can bring them up to everlasting life. Paul does what Jesus does, and you can do what Paul does, but to do it. I'm going to suggest you need to do five things, and I'm just going to enumerate them for you. So let me give you your takeaway and these five things that you can walk away with, and then we'll close in prayer. Here's here's your takeaway. There are five things for a Christian to take the time and care that's necessary to ask questions. If you say, okay, I'm going to ask questions. Remember, I just heard three testimonies this week. All of them talked about the value of questions. By the way, from multiple people. That five things are crucial for a Christian to take the time and care necessary to ask questions. Designed to faithfully and persuasively share the gospel of God with others for his glory and their salvation. Now, did you see what I just said? It takes thoughtfulness. It takes care. And it takes time. And you will not give thought care or time unless you love Jesus and unless you don't want people to spend eternity in hell. Your classmates, your teammates, your fraternity and sorority, your neighbors, your workmates, they're headed, they're born headed to hell, helpless and hopeless. You have the message to bring to them. But the first thing you've got to help them see in the gospel is the bad news of our indictment and their need of a Savior who can overcome their helplessness with the power of God, their hopelessness with the blessed hope of his sure righteousness. So, what is it? What are the crucial things? Here they are. Number one is this: you've got to have a commitment to Christ as Lord and Savior, manifested ob- manifested by obedience to the great commandment, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the great commission. That go and make disciples of all the nations. And you need to do that needs to be done in a vital relationship with Christ. Now listen, you got to share the gospel personally with people, but you need to know something. You will not be an effective communicator of the gospel to people if you are operating as a lone ranger in Christianity. And I'm not talking about, oh, I go to church every chance it works into my schedule. I'm not talking about drive-by church. I'm talking about a vital relationship where I'm being equipped, I'm being encouraged, I'm being connected to other people because they not only need you to come in their life. Did you hear what I said earlier? The people that gave the testimonies gave three, four, and five people. Sometimes you're planting, sometimes you're watering, sometimes. And I've never yet prayed with someone who gave their life to Jesus that I was the first one to talk, and the only one to talk to them. So we want to be connected as the body of Christ. Evangelism is a process. Conversion is an event. And in the process, God uses his people to encourage one another, to equip one another, and to function together as a team to win others to Christ. Secondly, you need to have a concern and care for people to know the Lord now and for eternity. The people you meet are headed to a Christless eternity without Christ, and they're living an empty life. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how much money. I don't care how much diversion. I don't care what it is. I promise you it's empty. I'll take you to the vocations that have the greatest money and the greatest fame. They also have the greatest um, budget for uh, therapy counselors, because these things in this world do not give life. So you want people to know the Lord for now so they don't have the emptiness and vanity of life under the sun apart from Christ and to know Christ that they may be with him for eternity and not exist under the torments of hell. And you see, when you have a concern for people, your questions, you're ready to plead, you're praying, you're persuading, you're presenting you're pondering, who am I talking to? How do I put the question to this person? How What questions do I ask to this individual? How can I do that with this individual? You're pondering the people that you're talking to. You're praying for them. And you're seeking to... Pr- Remember the apostle Paul is in prison at Caesarea by the sea? And he talks to governors and kings. And King Agrippa comes to him. And he, he asks him question after question after question to communicate the gospel. And finally, King Agrippa says... Paul, your learning is driving you mad. Why, you would even persuade me? Now, I know I can't persuade anyone to be a Christian. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But I can show the heart of God by seeking to persuade them. And that we would seek because we love them and we care for them, that they would know Christ now and for eternity. Number three, confidence Confidence in the supremacy, inerrancy, and sufficiency. You see, the questions are drawing out objections. Can I promise you something? Every objection is met right here. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be fully complete and equipped for every good work. God's word is inspired. God's word is inerrant. God's word's infallible. God's word is, um, and God's word is sufficient for everything in life, all matters of faith and doctrine. So, you don't have to cower. Draw the questions out. Well, Pastor, what if they say something that stumps me? Hey, you could follow that up with a question. Hey, you know what? What you just asked is so important and I don't feel I'm ready for it. Would you allow me to... Here's your question. Would you allow me to get back to you next week, tomorrow? That's why I'm connected to the church so I can go get some help in how to respond to you. But we may not know everything in the Word of God, but all that we need to know is in the Word of God. You see, Job cries out... The question of all questions. Man is evil like the sparks of a fire fly upward. So does our sin. And then five times he asked this. How can a man be right with God? Well, there's a great question. And the gospel is the answer. God makes us right with him. To his son, Jesus, who came to, you just sung it, to bear our shame and wear our sin at the cross. Number four, you need confidence in the power, the presence and promises of the Holy Spirit. What does Jesus tell us about the Holy Spirit? He'll never leave you. He's right with you. You're not in this by yourself. What does he tell us about the Holy Spirit? He will give you what? to say in that very moment. Then the ne- in the other gospel, he says this, he will give you how to say it. You will know when you're talking with someone and how Jesus, the Spirit of God, will let you know just how to deal with this person. Is this the person that needs the touch of the whisper of the gospel when Jesus will not bruise the broken reed Or snuff out the flickering candle, Or is this the time. Where the hammer. Breaks the rock. Because of the. Of the insolence. And the arrogance. That is being marshaled against God. But we. Know how to answer. By the spirit of God. With boldness and humility. With conviction. And compassion. With care and. And courage. And the Holy Spirit leads you in that. Number five. Confidence in Christ. As your Lord and Savior. There's no one you talk to that Jesus cannot save. No one. No one so far away. No one is so deep in sin. That they cannot be saved. By God's sovereign grace. God's sovereign. But no one is beyond his reach. No one has a sin that he can't deal with. So you go to those to whom you speak and you go to them with hope and you go to them with encouragement. That's why I I told people years ago, I think evangelism explosion is, I think it's a wonderful way to share the gospel. Can I tell you what I think I've always said, I think it's greatest uh, asset was the pen. Does anyone know what the pen you got had on it when you got trained Two questions? Can I ask you two questions. I got a question. Can I ask you two questions? If you're to die tonight, do you know where you spend eternity? I, I changed it. When you die, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And, and, they, and I, Can I ask you another question? When you, not if, when you stand before the Lord, what is it that you would say if He says, "Why should I let you into heaven?" Well, I love questions. It pulls out objections. It surfaces them. It anticipates them. We get them on the table, and the Spirit of God can use you with the Word of God to answer them. I love the one. My two favorite, of course, and you know my favorite fishing pool is a plane that has turbulence. I mean, honey, Monday we may get one. Okay, and so um, and so when and the turbulence comes, I'll turn to the guy next to me. Do you think there's a heaven? And then my next question, hey, how do you think you get there? Boy, that's just... I, go check Luke 24. Jesus, after he's raised, goes to two men who are downcast. Their minds, their hearts, their eyes, everything was down. And he walks up and he asks them five questions. Harry, what are the five questions? I'm not going to tell you. You go find them. But let me tell you how they left. Did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures? You and I cannot open minds. We can't open eyes. We can't open hearts. But we can open the scriptures with the right questions. And watch what God does. In fact, I've got one for you today. Is there any reason, if you've come here today without yet coming to Christ, is there any reason why you should not receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I would love to hear it. I'll tell you what I became convinced of. There are no worldly sandcastles on the beach of time that would make rejecting Jesus rational. There are no momentary pleasures of sin that would make the horrors of hell palatable. If I could give you the whole world, is that worth the loss of your soul? What would you exchange for your soul and Christ in eternity? I would just cast one more question. Why would you die? And for those of you who know Jesus, why not think about ways to ask questions so that we can share the good news for people who are under the indictment But the judge can be their savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word and just the blessing of rejoicing in you this Lord's day. Thank you that Jesus saves. Thank you that you're our living hope. Thank you for all those things we've sung and confessed and shared. And that we can be ready to give an account of the hope that's within us with gentleness and honoring Christ as Lord. So, Father, we give you praise and thanksgiving that you saved us. God, I want to ask anyone here who has not yet answered the call of Christ with yes, I surrender. I believe and confess my sins. Would you please move with them and upon them today, or at least move them to, uh, to respond to my question and come to me to share what reason that they would, that would Prevent them from coming to you. And, Father, for those here who know you, please send us out this week, every day, evangelizing everybody, everywhere. And we can even begin with a question. I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader. Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.